turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Thanks, guys. That was a blast. You two guys down there, Devin and Billy. We'll do more of that this summer. Before we read God's Word, let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that as we read Your Word, You would open our hearts to it. We pray that You would shine a light on it by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we hear Your Word read and preached, as we come to the table today, we pray that You would meet us, for we need You. We pray that we would do anything but go through the motions, but we would hear from You. You would meet us face to face. You would enter our hearts and minds. And You would rescue us. You would conform us. You would transform us into the very image of Your dear Son and our Savior. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 14, I'll be reading verses 15 through 24. 15 through 24. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come! For everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me be excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must go. I do go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. The master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's Word. I was listening to a couple of men last week in a conversation about Jesus. And one of them, a professed Christian, said, Look, the most important thing in my life is that Jesus is at the center. That I focus on Jesus. Everything in my life is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, I don't really know and I really can't say, he went on to say, I can't say what Jesus who he really was or what he really did or what he continues to do, but I know that he's really important to me. 
And he just needs to be at the center of my life and I need to love him. But that's about as far as it goes. I'm just not sure. The other one said, you know, I used to go to church, used to call myself a Christian, but along the way, in my search, I heard so many different opinions about Jesus, I gave it up. I heard so many different opinions about who Jesus is that I just gave it up. I, there were a number of times I wanted to say, and this is this man talking, will the real Jesus please stand up? Will the real Jesus please stand up? That's the goal of our series. We started last week. The goal of our series is to see time and time again in the Bible when people come face to face with Jesus and face to face with his stories, with his parables. What does it do? What happens? What happens when people come face to face with Jesus? And we said last week that the thing that we need to know more than anything else is hearts are on display when people come face to face with Jesus in his stories. People are revealed as being hard-hearted and hostile and rejecting Christ. And then there are others. And we'll see this time and time again. Then there are others who drop to their knees in tears. God, forgive me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Some, their eyes are closed. Some, their eyes are open. And we see that time and time again in the stories that Jesus tells. Well, we'll see it here today. Here's the setting. It's a Sabbath day. And it's probably following a a, a synagogue service. You might say a church service. And Jesus has been invited over for lunch or supper or dinner or whatever you call it. And these are the community leaders. These are the Pharisees, the scribes, the experts in the law. Come to our home, eat with us, spend time with us. We recognize that you're obviously very knowledgeable, you're obviously a great teacher, and you obviously have a following. Join us. Following the service, come. They're concerned. They're concerned about this growing movement of people who are beginning to follow Jesus. Now, this group, there's only, there's only four or five mentions in the entire New Testament, believe it or not, of somebody having a table or reclining at a table. They're reclining here at a table. They're, it's a very low table. They're on cushions. They're resting on their elbows. But what this says is these are important people, and they're probably wealthy. These are the leaders. These are the village community leaders. And now they come face to face with Jesus. And Jesus starts talking to them about what's lawful to do on the Sabbath and what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he starts talking about all these promises in the Old Testament about messiahs and kings and banquets. And they're perking up. Wow. And as he begins to talk about messiahs and kings and banquets, one of them erupts. Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom. Blessed is everyone who will join the feast at the end of time when the messiah comes. 
when the king is here in glory. Blessed is everyone who will join in this great feast. In other words, blessed is everyone who is invited to what Isaiah talked about earlier in the service. Isaiah 25. Blessed is everyone who takes part in this. Now, this is a conversation and a dialogue that has been going on for hundreds of years, probably 700 years. And they come now face to face to Jesus and they say, what do you think? Jesus, what do you say about Isaiah 25? What do you say about all these wonderful promises about kings and kingdoms and messiahs and feasts and glory and rejoicing? What do you say? What do you say, Jesus, about all of these wonderful promises? Now, they know what they believe. See if you've heard any of this before. There's probably several perspectives represented in this group. One perspective is, at the end of time, this great banquet, this great feast, and the Messiah comes, the King comes. What we will have, some of these people think, is we'll have the separation of good Jews from bad Jews. All the Jews that have been obedient and righteous will be accepted, and those who haven't won't. Gentiles will not be invited at all. Why would we want Gentiles? It's just for God's people at the end of time. And the good God's people will be separated from the bad God's people. Some of them would believe that. Others would say, no, no, no. The Gentiles will be invited. They will be invited to this great feast, this great banquet. They will be invited. And you know what will happen to them when they're invited? They will be judged and they'll get what they deserve. Because they're not a part of us. Oh, they'll be invited all right, but they will be shamed. They will be shamed. They will get what they deserve. And then there's others. There's probably some other opinions represented in, in this group. But these are the three most prominent. There are others in this group who say, no, 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 no. At the great feast, at the great time of glory, when the Messiah comes and the King comes, all the wise and obedient and righteous and intelligent people will be ranked according to their works. Oh, we look forward to that day. When all the wise and intelligent people, godly people, obedient people, righteous people will be ranked according to what they have accomplished in this life. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? And Jesus, as he often does, says, once upon a time, There was a great man and a great banquet. He tells a story, as he is wont to do all the time. Once upon a time, there was a great man and a great banquet. Now, before we get into this, there is a lot here that we can relate to. We just get because we're Southerners. Or we live in the South. Or we've learned to be Southerners. 
or we're surrounded by Southerners. There's a lot of decorum going on here. There's things that you do and things that you just don't do, and most of it is unspoken. You have to figure it out or marry into it. That is all over the place in in this story. You could call it Middle Eastern Southern decorum. Very important in this first century culture. Very important in our culture. Look, it's a, it's a Sunday dinner, a Sunday supper, Sunday whatever you call it. And the teacher has come. The pastor has come. We've invited him. Now, we're not going to be very friendly to him, but we have invited him. And there's going to be some expectations here. And as we get into the, to the story, planning preparation, food, flowers, invitations, reminders, save the date. It's all here. Hospitality. It's all here. Now, I've lived in the South for most of my life. I married a Mississippi girl. I still can't figure out invitations. You know, dressy casual, casual casual, snappy casual, Formal, formal, a smart catch. I don't know. I just asked my wife. I have no idea. Cindy, what in the world do I wear to this? And Jesus tells this story that's full of all of these themes. There once was a great man who held a great banquet. And he invited all of his friends, associates, peers... And the invitation was received and affirmed. Yes, we got it. We're coming. We'll be there. We will be there. Uh, The day arrives. Come, for everything is now ready. The reminder phone call, the reminder text, the reminder email goes out. All these people, these friends and peers and associates that have affirmed that they will come. And all the planning has gone into this. Now, again, in this culture, you need to know who's coming, more evenly more important than today, because you need to know how many animals you're going to have to kill, to slaughter, to prepare for those who are coming. And they've affirmed that they are coming. And now you know what happens. It's a familiar story to many of you. The excuses start flowing. They've affirmed, they said they would come, they saved the date, we'll be there. And on the surface, it might not seem like this is such a big deal. But remember what I said about expectations and hospitality and saying I'll be there. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal in our culture, it's a huge deal in this culture. It's a huge deal. And what we have here, I'll just tell you at the outset, we have a series of open and public insults. But not only that, if you, if you read the, the commentators, the scholars that have lived in the Middle East, some of you have, they will say not only is this a series of insults, it's a series of people colluding to shut this thing down. Not only are we not coming, we don't want it to happen. 
Not that anybody would ever do that around here. You know, like gather and plan and, hey, are you going? No. Are you going? No. Let's not go. Maybe it won't happen. Maybe you've been involved in those kinds of conversations. That's what's going on. Not just public insults, but trying to shut it down. Here the excuses come. I've bought a field, bought a field, then I must go out, now I must go out and see it. Now everybody knows, okay? He said he's going to come. This is a, 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 an email or a text reply to all, so everybody sees it. Uh, sorry, can't come, bought a field, got to go to see it. Now this is ludicrous because you don't buy, in this culture, livelihoods depend on fields, You don't buy a field and then go see it. You know every inch of it. You know it like the palm of your hand before you buy it. You know where the water is, where the rocks are, where the trees are. Not only that, you know who owned it before and you know how much profit it's made in the past. You know it like the palm of your hand And this is a public insult. Look, I had the privilege of being a pastor for a number of years in the Mississippi Delta, in Greenwood. And there is nothing like spending the day riding around, (laughs) riding around in a pickup with a man who has farmed for generations, um, whose hands are bigger than my chest. And he's, there's the water. There are the trees. There's the neighbors. There's the boundary line. In fact, look over there. I planted those trees 30 years ago. I was riding with one farmer. Um, some of you know of the Pillow family. I was riding around with one of the Pillow brothers. So you see how that tree over there? I tried to dynamite that out of the ground 10 years ago. I was defeated. And there were these pocket holes all around. I can't stand that tree. I tried to get it out of there with dynamite. He knew. They knew. They know. Every inch. And so do they. It's rude. It's an insult. It's open and it's public. We're not coming and we're shutting this down. The next excuse. I I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go, I must go, to examine them. Bought the oxen, must go. Again, you don't buy oxen sight unseen. In fact, if this is a a wealthy person, which he probably is, he could send somebody else to go. Five yoke of oxen is expensive. He could send somebody else to go. You try them out, whether it's in the market or in the field, first. You make sure they work. You test drive your oxen. First, you try them out. Um, When I was in high school in Texas, during the summer, I would, oh, don't ever do this. to, To earn some extra money, I got up really early in the morning and hauled hay in East Texas. Uh, and I, I would do that. We'd get up real early and then have a break for lunch and then go inside because it was so hot. And then we'd come back out in the evening, late afternoon, on into the evening until it got dark. 
and, and finish up. And I was around a lot of livestock people. In fact, I worked with horses for, for a number of years. And you don't, right, Becky? You don't buy a horse sight unseen. Depending on what you're going to do with it, you look at, you look at its confirmation. You look how tall it is. You look at its eyes. Does this horse have a, a soft eye? You don't buy livestock sight unseen. In that culture and in ours. Look, these, these are ludicrous. This is like reply to all, I can't come and I won't come because I have to rearrange my sock drawer. I have to clean my garage. I have to change the oil in my lawnmower. Whatever. You fill in the blank. It's an insult. And it's meant to be. It's an insult. And it is meant to be. Well, finally, um, I I have married a wife and therefore I can't come. Now, we're getting serious here. We've been serious before, but we're really getting serious now. This is intense. This is taking insult to a new level. They're talking publicly about women and wives in a way that is using them to insult someone. I hope we don't do that. They shouldn't do that. Taking the insult to a new level. We're not quite clear. Is it a, is it a wedding? Is it a wedding night? That seems to be some of the implication. It's extremely rude and insulting. What's happening here? I didn't, I didn't even know about your wedding. I didn't even know about your, your wife. Well, I have one and I'm not coming. He doesn't even ask to be excused. I'm not coming. I don't care about your banquet. I hope it doesn't happen at all. They are revealing their hard hearts. And Jesus says, Pharisees, scribes, teachers of the law, experts, community leaders who should know their Old Testament better than they do, this is you. This is you. And you will not taste my banquet. You will not be there. So he sends the servant back out. And his response can be summed up in one word. It's the word we all live for. (laughs) Grace. He shows grace. He says, they're not going to be there. They have not responded to the invitation. They have revealed their hearts to be hard. And they do not see. Go out and get all the outsiders. Within Israel and outside of Israel. Go out and get all the riffraff. Go out and get all the hopeless. Go out and get those people who have given up on life. Go get them all, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Go out to the highways and hedges and 
and compel them to come in. Why does he say compel them to come in? Lots of people have different opinions about this. If, again, if you know the culture, when this servant goes out and invites these people to a banquet with a great man, they're going to say, me? Does he know who I am? <laughs> does, does he know who he's inviting? I can't. I'm not worthy. I can't pay. I, I'm not. I don't get invited to things like that. I don't get invited to things like that. I was a, a director of a. Um, I, I've been in ministry since my Cindy and I basically together since our late teens and virtually all of our lives. And I used to be the director of a, a family camp for families. And we had a program where we, if we found out that families couldn't afford to come, we had other people that we knew that would pay for them to come. And they never knew who paid for it. And one of the greatest phone calls I ever got to make as a director is this, you're coming to family camp this summer for a week or two because somebody has paid for it. Really? I've never been to any place like that. (laughs) I've never had an experience like that. Come. I'm not taking no for an answer. Come. And they would come. And they would go outside and they would see, they would be by the campfires and the stars and the singing and the teaching and the word, and they would just drink it in. Ah, wow. This is for me. What's happening here is these people, these outcast outsiders, are now discovering that that grace is unbelievable. And grace does not take no for an answer. Grace is, is unbelievable. And it does not take no for an answer. Tell them to come. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying... Through this story to these men, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 25. Take it home and read it again. Look at the promises in Isaiah 25. A great feast and salvation and great joy and no more death and no more tears. I am the fulfillment. You are invited. The gospel is for you. And of course, what Jesus is saying, we're all outsiders. We're all riffraff. We're all undeserving. We all should be saying, me? Does he know who I am? (laughs) Does he know what I've done? Me? The gospel is for you. And before we come to the table this morning, let me... Say one more thing. The gospel is free. It's for you. Grace is for you. That's what Jesus is saying. But let me say this. And here's the picture of it right here. The gospel is for you, but it is not about you. (laughs) The gospel is for you, but it's not about you. It's about something much more wonderful than you. 
It's about all of us. Coming together, all peoples, all nations from all over the world, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, coming to the feast and looking at Jesus and singing praises to Him and worshiping Him together. You can't have a banquet by yourself. You can't have a banquet. You can't have a feast by yourself. It's us together, side by side. My son right now is somewhere, I don't know where, but I guess everybody's somewhere, but he's somewhere, he's in the military and he's training somewhere, and we've been praying for him and he's still going through this process, but we do know this. Some of you know my son is in the army. He's, some, he's in some desert somewhere right now training. But we do know this. Recently, he had to come before... He's going through a process right now of coming before his authorities, standing before his authorities, and, and arguing based upon his merit that he should get a higher rank. He's going through that process right now somewhere. I don't know. can't tell me where. But he is standing before his authority, arguing based upon what he's accomplished, that he should get a higher rank. That doesn't work with Jesus. It works in the military and business and education and technology, and that's fine. But not when you come face to face with Jesus. It's grace. Accepting you based upon grace I remember when Harrison first came back, I often, I've learned so much from my son in the military in his several deployments, you know. In many ways, that's what we are doing as Christians. We're being deployed, aren't we? I remember the first time he came back from his first deployment and he saw people die. He went through some very hard things and we got to talking one day around the kitchen table, and I asked him, what's your relationship like with, with the other guys? He said, well, you know, I like some of them more than others, and some of them I don't like that much. It varies, but I give my life for every one of them. But I give my life for every one of them. The gospel is for you, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ and coming together Christians, believers from all over the world and focusing on Him. And we have a picture today of the sermon right there. That we remi- we're reminded of the Passover rescue. We're reminded of Jesus in the upper room and we're reminded of that great wedding Supper of the Lamb when the Messiah returns in glory. And we will be filled with great praise and joy. The gospel's for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, even as we have come face to face with Jesus today. And we realize, although some are revealed to have hard hearts, and are openly hostile, Lord, we recognize that it is only by Your 
grace. As we consider and we know our own hearts and we understand that we are outsiders, we're outcasts, we're sinners. And Jesus comes and says, my life for yours. He was made sin for us, suffered in our place. And so now we come together to the table in His name to continue to praise Him and worship Him and receive His grace. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.